and freedom openly. Earlier today, across the globe, people hid in basements and in living rooms with the blinds. We should raise the blinds, right? People hide to worship the Lord for fear of persecution. People would die to be able to vote for their leaders, their imperfect leaders. We are a blessed people. We are so blessed. That has nothing to do with my sermon this morning. <laughs> has absolutely nothing to do with it. But I think it is important as we go into a holiday weekend that we not just be so focused on the fact that we don't have to go to work and that we've got family outings planned and barbecues to come and the steaks are thawing on the counter at home. I think it's important for us to stop for a couple of seconds and just meditate on the fact that we are the most blessed people on this earth at this moment in time. Regardless of your economic status this morning, you're one of the most blessed people on this earth. You know, we, we just don't understand in the United States how good we have it. And uh, it's not until you leave this country and go into some of those third world corners of this, this globe, which some of us have, and seen what it's like to realize that we are blessed, blessed people. Thank God for all that he's done for us. Thanks to all of the folks in this room who have served our country and have sacrificed their blood, sweat, and tears. We have family members represented here of folks that uh, have, have uh, gone above and beyond to serve our nation. And uh, we owe it to them. We owe it to those who've gone before us uh, to just be very thankful today for what the Lord has given to us. Uh, we are in week number four of this series, Alternate Reality. Pastor Paul is uh, with uh, Spencer, and they're like visiting all of the athletic halls of fame this week, which is kind of a cool trip. So if you've been following them on Facebook, it's kind of fun to see where, where they've been going. But he asked me to fill in this week, and uh, we're just going to pick right up from where we left off over the past couple of weeks. God has established an alternate reality that he wants ordinary people like us to experience. And we kicked off this series and, and we were introduced to uh, the writer of this letter of 1 John, John the, uh, the Apostle, John the, the friend of Jesus, John who, who uh, you know, hung out with Jesus for, for three years as a disciple and wasn't just a disciple, but he was a close friend of Christ. He was, he was an eyewitness, a firsthand eyewitness of the living Christ. And he wasn't just a firsthand eyewitness of the living Christ who, you know, went to Samaria and went to Jerusalem. He was an eyewitness of the living Christ. He watched Jesus die on the cross and he experienced the resurrected Jesus. He experienced the resurrected Jesus. He was an eyewitness of the living, risen Christ. And as he writes this book, we, we talked about how he really wants, the goal of this book is he wants his readers to know the living Christ that he knows. And he is very enthusiastic about this. And that, that first week that we kind of introduced ourselves to this book, we asked, how is, how is our personal relationship with Christ? Is it, is it a relationship that brings us joy? Or is it a relationship that brings us down? So we're exploring the, the personal relationship that we have in Christ. And then the next week we talked about how this friendship, this relationship with the living Christ, it brings us into a new fellowship with God. 
this, this relationship that we can have with Christ, it restores the, the gap that was created when we sin. And, and it restores that gap and it creates this opportunity for relationship. It, it, it creates this, this fellowship with Christ or with God, with Christ and God, this koinonia that we experience with God and we experience with others. And we, we looked really close at that. And last week, I love Pastor Paul's message last week. The living Christ calls us into this alternate reality with, with the people around us. Christ set this pattern out for us. He set this pattern out for us. He laid down his life for his friends to demonstrate love. And, and one of the things that I took from Paul's sermon last week was Jesus was obedient even when it wasn't convenient. Jesus was obedient. He did the right thing even when he didn't feel like doing the right thing. He was, he was obedient and he made that sacrifice. He set aside his own wants and agenda to take on the agenda of the kingdom. And so that brings us to the second chapter uh, of this letter this week. And, and, and we're talking about uh, the, the light and the dark. And this week we're going to be talking about this choice that we have between this relationship with God and the world. This relationship with God or do we choose uh, the world. This is really a letter of encouragement. When I read this, you got to understand, I've read this book many, many times, and I'm sure you have too, and I've studied this book under some of probably what I think would be the best Nazarene scholars uh, in our generation. And so I've had to, I had to, in my master's program, I had to write a paraphrase of this entire epistle. I had to put it in my own words. I had to like boil it down to the Greek and then pull it back out into English, and oh my gosh, it was all Greek to me. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, but this really is a letter of encouragement. John is enthusiastic uh, about uh, Jesus, and he wants others to know who this Christ is. And, and he's, he's writing to his audience because they're facing some of these really big temptations. They're, they're facing the temptation to diminish the divinity and the humanity of Christ. And they're, they're being tempted to rationalize this worldliness and this sin in their lives. They're, they're being tempted on all fronts. They're being tempted to settle for something much less than what God desires for his children. They're being tempted to settle for much less than what God desires for us. They're being tempted to settle for a lesser reality. And John is this eager enthusiast for Jesus. He is, he is a brand enthusiast. Um, I'm a marketer when I'm not doing ministry, and um, I've got a contest we're going to play this morning. Uh, Mary, put up that next slide, if you could, for me. This is the enthusiasm meter. He is a brand enthusiast. Um, any enthusiasts for this first brand? Is it going to pop up? Push it again. Just keep on pushing it. I love our technology. God bless it. It works so well. Any Ford enthusiast? Jay, are you a Ford enthusiast? Chevy? No way. <laughs> Ford and Chevy. No, who's a Honda enthusiast? I am. I own three. <laughs> if you work for them, you should say you're a Honda enthusiast, right? Um, your telephone. Oh, there you go. Here comes the enthusiasm meter. It's like, works like my phone. <laughs> Who's an Apple fan? Oh, see, I even got applause. Christy got blessed. 
Do you see that? She clapped in church. It was awesome. I've never had somebody clap during one of my sermons before. Uh, who, now, what's the next one up there? Who's an Android enthusiast? Who's got a droid? Woo, you know, you, people get really passionate about their phones. We sit at work and all the time we're talking about our phones, you know. And, you know, some people are like, oh, Apple's the best. And, you know, that phone works really well and Android stinks because it always crashes my phone. And then you flip it around and you have the same, you have the same arguments the, the other way. But people get really enthusiastic about brands uh, that they like. What's this next one up here? Anybody enthusiastic for this? Oh, my goodness. The Holy Spirit is here. You know, there's a lot of enthusiasm for, 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 for athletic teams. What about this next one? You can tell what the author of the uh, slide is the enthusiast for, right? We get enthusiastic about these things, and, and it, like, makes us leap out of our seat, and it makes us leap into conversation, and we get all excited, and we get all animated, and we like to research things so we can make the best arguments, and we'll post things on our Facebook page, and blah, blah, blah. We get enthusiastic about it. You know, these brands, they love it when people get enthusiastic about what they're selling, because that means you have this emotional connection you have this emotional connection that is a belief that Apple's better than Android or Android's better than Apple. You know, that Ohio State is the best. <laughs> Becky Eichhorn's about ready to jump out of her seat blessed right now. <laughs> She's emotionally connected to that Ohio State brand. A lot of you are. And that emotional connection will make us do things that we would never typically do on a regular day. You know? But this is John. This is John's level of enthusiasm for Jesus Christ. He is so enthusiastic for Jesus Christ that he wants other people to experience Jesus Christ, just like I want you to experience this phone. You know, or I want you to come and watch the Ohio State game with me. Or, Jay, I want you to come and look at my Ford truck. It's better than that Chevy that's out there. Heavens, it's better than that. What's that Ridgeline, a Honda pickup fake truck or whatever it is? <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> Don't kill the messenger. But, but John's readers, uh, the, you know, they are, they are being pulled emotionally by the world around them. And, and, and he, is, he is centered in the, the, the reality of this emotional, personal experience with the living Jesus Christ. And, and so as we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 this morning... Let's read this passage together. I think that this, this entire uh, chapter really helps us. We're going to be focusing on 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 27 this morning. And we're going to just do the first couple of verses uh, here to, to kick us off. John writes to his, his audience. He says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The world and its desires pass away. Stuff breaks down. Stuff breaks down, you know? This last week, we were kind of just uh, minding our own business at our house and closing things up for the evening, and Stephen's home for the summer, and he was putting the cars in the garage, and he put the garage door down. The door went down, and then it came right back up. 
And he comes in and he's like, Dad, the garage door's broken. And I'm like, great, you know. So it's Saturday night, 9 o'clock. That's exactly what I wanted to do at that moment in time. Actually, what I wanted to do was call Craig Elrod. <laughs> but I felt a check of the spirit. And I decided to try to manage things on my own. And I went out to the garage and, you know, I was moving, playing with the travel adjustment. I was playing with the pressure. And usually I can fix it. Hop up on the ladder, it's a three-minute fix. But stuff breaks down. Stuff breaks in this world. And you know what? I sat out there for 15, 20 minutes and Stephen was like, I want to watch you do this. And Andrew was there too. They were both just kind of like popcorn, you know, watching dad. (laughs) And weren't you? Yes, he admits it. They were just sitting there watching that, and I couldn't get it. I was like, you know what? I unplugged the garage uh, door, put it down manually, locked it up, and said, I'll deal with it this week. So I had to have a garage door repairman come out and fix my broken garage door so that it would work again. And he said, you know, that thing's getting kind of old. It's wearing out. Stuff breaks down. Stuff in this world, it wears out. A couple weeks ago, you know, I've, I've been waiting for just a beautiful summer day for a long time, and I know all of us have just been hungry for summer to get here. And it was that Saturday about two or three weeks ago where it was like 92. Um, got up, beautiful day, uh, went out on the porch, read a book, came back inside. Victoria and I walked down to the farmer's market, went to the library, got some books. Uh, I think we got some honey that morning too. Walked back, come in the house, and I'm like, it's kind of muggy in here. 92 degrees that day. As the day moves along, about at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I look at the thermostat, it was 80 degrees in the house. Stuff wears out. Stuff breaks down. And so I had to call the repairman in to come and fix it, and my thermostat wire had broken, and that was why the AC unit didn't work. And the nice lady who came out to fix my unit said, you know, this thing was installed 22 years ago. It's wearing out. It's going to break down. And so you should really think about replacing it. And so, you know, over the past week, I've had a couple of uh, folks come out to give me estimates on my new HVACC system. And I posted on Facebook. But I am just amazed that when my AC broke down, it took eight days for somebody to get out and watch it and look at it and fix it. But when I called them up to say I wanted an estimate because I'm possibly in the market to buy a new one, I had three people out the same afternoon on Friday. They said, hey, you know, can you, they're like, so you know where they're making their money, right? Stuff breaks down, stuff wears out. We're busy all the time maintaining what we have, maintaining the stuff that we have. On one of these cable channels, they have this uh, television show. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it's basically what would happen if mankind were just wiped off of the earth and all this stuff remained here, what would happen? And every show is kind of about how nature and the creation just kind of takes back over again. You know, if we're not, as human beings, maintaining all this stuff, even concrete, even asphalt, even some of the biggest structures that we can imagine building will deteriorate and they will break down over time if they aren't maintained. And we spend all this time and we spend all this energy and we spend all this effort. Think about how much time you spend every week just maintaining things. You know, it's a good spring, wet this last spring. I was out mowing my yard twice a week. Twice a week just so that I could keep things at bay. We spend time maintaining things. 
You know, I've got some, I've got some really great T-shirts that I own. You know, and some of them I can't part ways with because I've had them since I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> but over time, even though I don't wear them, they deteriorate and they wear out and they're getting thinner. And I'm like, do I need to do something to preserve this? $3 t-shirt I got somewhere. Stuff breaks down. We do the stupidest things to preserve the things in this world that, that are passing away. The world and its desires, they, they pass away. And so often we're distracted by investing all of our time in maintaining stuff so it doesn't deteriorate. We don't realize that we are choosing to settle for less than God's best in our lives. We settle for the temporary when there's an eternity to be gained. And we've got this mindset in our society of instant gratification. We've got this, this mindset that's been drilled into us with technology uh, and with all of the luxuries that we have around us uh, of everyday living. We want it and we want it now. Has anybody seen that Amazon sells these little buttons so that when you run out of detergent, you can just have this button on your washing machine. It hooks up to the Wi-Fi in your house. And when your, your tide is running low, you push the button. You don't have to do anything else. And then the next day, a big thing of tide shows up at your doorstep. You can do that for anything. And I just read this week in the Wall Street Journal that Amazon is going to expand that. So we're going to be having these buttons all over our houses. You know, when, when Vicki and I were parents of young children, I remember we had a diaper service. You're like, what? We had a, there was a diaper service. We actually had diapers brought in every week. And then they would take the mm, ones and they would take those away and they would clean them and give you all these fresh new diapers. And today I talk to young parents and they're like, yeah, I just click on, I have a regular like order set up on Amazon to deliver diapers to my house for my little kids. We are sold into this mindset of instant gratification. We want gratification at the lowest possible price. Who's up for a bargain here? Everybody, come on, come on. You are like just geeking out that Costco's down the road, aren't you? It's just like, oh my gosh, Costco. <laughs> Tanger outlets on the other, Delaware, really? I'm there. You know, we are all for instant gratification at the lowest possible price. And we've got it in this, this cultural mindset ingrained in us that we are willing to sacrifice quality for ease and convenience. Think about how often we sacrifice quality for ease and convenience. Path of least resistance in our lives. If it's inconvenient, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to waste my time. I've got too many other things I'm trying to maintain so I'm going to just invest in those things that are easy and convenient. I ran across this quote this week. Mary put it up there. Simon Tugwell is a Dominican priest, but I think there's some reality in this reading that I captured. This God knows that we can never really be satisfied with any world of our own devising. That's deep, isn't it? God knows that we can never really be satisfied with any world of our own devising. We're so busy trying to maintain and we're so busy trying to instantly gratify our needs, trying, trying, trying to satisfy ourselves, but to no end. Because you know what? I was eating breakfast this morning and I had the last bowl of Frosted Flakes. <laughs> we need more, dear. Put it on the grocery list. We've got to maintain won't be satisfied if I don't have my Frosted Flakes. The point here that I want to make to us, we get to choose whether or not to live 
in a better reality in Christ. We get to choose whether or not to live in a better reality in Christ. Sometimes I think we feel like, you know, I got saved and I've consecrated my life to Jesus and I, I, I'm trying to live in the Spirit. And, and, I, and when I was growing up, I got kind of ingrained in my mind that somehow if you were saved and sanctified, you just no longer had any choice. You weren't going to sin anymore. You were, you were you know, you, you just weren't going to sin. And the reality is, in this walk of holiness that we're called to, it is a, it is a choice every day to live in the Spirit. It is a choice every hour to live in the Spirit. It is a choice every moment. We make choices every moment as to whether or not we're going to walk in the light or walk in the darkness. God does not take away our free will when we consecrate our lives to him and he makes us holy. Free will is still there. And I think it's really important for us to realize that God can change and transform our hearts and our desires, but we still make the choice. And every day as we live in this world, we are tempted to live in the world <laughs> or to walk in the light. We have a choice every single day. And you know, I find this principle at work in this walk of holiness where we think, oh, I've arrived, I'm holy. Mm, that's not really true, is it? <laughs> that, is, that is something that we have to keep up to date every day in our relationship with God. What I found is that in this spiritual walk every day, when we choose sin, we stall our spiritual momentum. When we choose to sin, it stalls out our spiritual momentum. Every time we're faced with a choice to live in Christ or to live in the world, and we make that choice to live in the world, we're making it really difficult for ourselves to stay airborne spiritually. We are stalling our spiritual life. We are, it's like trying to get off the ground while we're stuck in molasses. Every time we choose, and we face these choices every day, and sometimes we make these choices unconsciously because life comes at you really quickly, and it just happens that way. The corollary of that is every time we choose to live in obedience to the Spirit's voice in our hearts, we inject rocket fuel into our spiritual momentum. I find this principle at work, and I think we find it in Ephesians chapter 3, is we're obedient. You know, we, are, we, we open ourselves up to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Every act of obedience opens us up to more and more of what Christ wants to give us. And it's like rocket fuel in our spiritual life. And it, it, it makes us go faster and faster. If you've ever watched a rocket go off the pad before, it'll be a slow takeoff as it kind of builds momentum. But then by, as it passes the tower and shoots off into the sky, you're hitting Mach 1 really fast. You're hitting Mach 2 really fast. You're hitting Mach 3. Every act of obedience is like rocket fuel every act of obedience. And Jesus teaches this. You know, if you go back and you look at how he talks to his disciples in the upper room the night before he was crucified, he's like, you know, if you obey me, <laughs> if you obey my commands, that's how you're showing me that you love me. And if you obey me, the counselor will come in you. The counselor will come and he will teach you and he will guide you. Every act of obedience propels us into deeper communion with the living Christ. Every act of obedience 
propels us into a deeper communion with the living Christ. So, so Paul's audience, these people he's writing to, he wants them to know the living Christ the way that he knows the living Christ, and yet they're being tugged by the culture around them. They're being tugged by the worldliness around them and the desires of the, the world and their, their society every day. But the, John's audience is also, they're being tugged by watered-down truth. They're being tugged by watered-down truth. When we look at uh, verse 18 in chapter 2 here, just looking at verses 18 and 19 real quick. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. The Antichrist is coming, John tells his readers. The Antichrist is coming. We have to be very mindful about the things that we allow to teach and inform our souls. I want to say that again because I think it's really important. We have to be very mindful about the things that we allow to teach and inform our souls um, Jesus tells us that we should worship in spirit and truth. And, and, and you know, I think that part of the truth is that mind, body, soul, there's three parts to each of us. They make us up. Our mind, our body, and our souls make up who we are as individuals in God. They cannot be disconnected. They are intertwined like a rope. And so when we make choices in our lives to expose ourselves to certain teachings or to expose ourselves to certain forms of entertainment or to expose ourselves to certain relationships that are unhealthy, it doesn't just impact our mind individually. It doesn't just impact our body uniquely. It doesn't just impact our soul. It impacts all of it. So if you're watching stuff you know you shouldn't be watching, guess what? That's not just having an impact on your body or your mind. It's having an impact on your soul. Everything, we are spiritual beings. Do you believe that? We are spiritual beings. The thing that makes us who we are is the spirit within us, the spirit that God has breathed into us that makes us individuals. And I think it's really important that we are mindful about what we allow to come through these things and what we allow to come through these things <laughs> and what we allow to come out of this because that all has an impact on our spiritual lives. Amen. We have to be very mindful about the things that we take in. You can't separate mind, body, and spirit. And the Antichrist, what I find scary about this passage here, John says the Antichrist teachers are out there. They're coming, and I always think of some guy in a turban with blue eyes in Iraq ready to launch a nuclear bomb at me because that's what I was taught growing up. That's my, my image of Antichrist. You know, and I remember back in the 90s, is it Saddam Hussein? And now, you know, we're wondering if it's Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump. I think the Antichrist is going to have much better hair. <laughs> Need a little laugh there from you guys. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Oh, my. The Antichrist isn't the guy with the turban, and it's not the guy with the funky hair. John says the Antichrist teachers are coming from the church. <laughs> Yikes. The Antichrist teachers came from the church in his time. They were deceived by what they allowed to enter into their minds. And they, they took in 
uh, the bad data and were influenced the wrong way, and then they, 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 they bowed to warped teaching, which led to a tolerance for sin. You know, the, the thing that the, the, the Antichrist that John was dealing with in the church is the, the core root of what they were dealing with is they were challenging the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. And you know, I think that's the root of it all right there. As soon as we start questioning the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, we start going down a slippery slope that we cannot recover from, and it winds, us, winds up making us uh, make, con- make compromises to sin in our lives that are damaging and lead to death. And they, they, were, they were arguing about the divinity and the humanity of Christ, and that led to a tolerance for sin, and that led to them teaching a gospel that settled for less than what God had intended for us to receive. They, and then they were teaching others about it. They were brand enthusiasts for their warped view of the gospel. And they were going out and they were influencing people in the church and dragging the church down because they were teaching warped Doctrine. They weren't teaching what the Bible teaches. As I look at that word antichrist, and like I said, I, you know, when you look at the Greek, of the, it's all Greek to me, right? The Greek word, it's like one of the easiest Greek words I've ever learned. Antichristos. Can you throw that up on the, the screen? Antichristos. That, I actually, I feel like I know how to say a Greek word because most Greek words I don't know how to pronounce. David does, but I don't. Antichristos, and I was looking up uh, the definition of this word in its original form uh, this week as I was studying for the sermon today. Antichristos, one who is opposed to Christ in the sense of usurping the role of Christ. That word usurping just popped off the page for me. Anything that usurps the reign of Christ in our life, anything that usurps or takes Christ off of the throne of our, uh, of our hearts is anti. Antichrist. It's not just a person in the turban with the blue eyes, with the finger on the button waiting to shoot the missile. That's not, it's not a person. It could be anything that usurps the authority of Christ in our lives. And, you know, as I was thinking about this this week, you know, I was thinking about how wealth is an antichrist. You know, affluence is, is an, we live in the richest country in the world. America's poorest live like royalty, compared to the rest of the world. The poorest among us are princes when you go out of this country and you go into uh, third world areas of the world. We are blessed. We really are in this country. And I am glad to be an American. Amen. Amen. But in that blessing, I think we have become blinded. We have become blinded by consumerism. We have been lulled into apathy because we are comfortable. That's why the epicenter of the church has moved over the past 100 years from North America to Central America, because there's a hunger and a desire in Central and South America for the gospel, and the church is growing there in leaps and bounds as the church is, is globalized, because we, are, we have been lulled into apathy in America by our wealth and affluence. It doesn't, I'm not just talking about wealth, I'm not going to go after your pocketbook, we Uh, Antichrist could be your job. You could be addicted to your job. You could be so addicted to your job that your job is more important than your relationship to Jesus Christ. You could be so uh, addicted to a hobby. Anything that usurps the role of Christ 
in our lives is antichrist. You could be, you could be lulled uh, into apathy in your relationship with Christ by relationships. You know, sometimes I, I watch the, the helicopter parent generation out here, and I think some people make idols of their children, where that child, that relationship becomes such a, a, a it becomes more important than anything else in my life. And it becomes antichrist. None of those things are bad in and to themselves, but when they keep us from engaging in a deeper relationship, they are antichrist. They are antichrist. They bring us, they, they, these things that I'm talking about, they, we, we invest in them because they bring us this temporary joy. They bring us a shadow of the joy that the true living God can bring us when we're in a right relationship with him. Could it be that we are settling for less than God's best because we're distracted by some antichrists in our lives? Could it be that we are settling for a bargain-based reality? We're distracted by this temporal reality we're in and we're missing the bigger picture of what God wants for us. Could it be, and this is the scary part, church, could it be that as we settle for less, are we at risk of becoming antichrist to the people around us? Could it be that we are at risk of becoming antichrist? The one thing that I find that is always working is that when God is working in me and in my life, he tends to work through me in the lives of other people. God uses us to influence the people around us. So when we are choosing to live in the light, we are choosing to influence the world around us with the light. We are illuminating our surroundings. We have an influence. We cast a shadow with the people around us. And the way we conduct ourselves, the things that we consume, the things that we allow to be on the throne of our hearts, people are watching. Our kids are watching. Our brothers and sisters in church are watching. We have an influence and we have a responsibility that we are gonna be held accountable for for the influence that we extended to the people around us. Could it be that if we're settling for less, we're at risk of becoming the Antichrist? You're like, oh, Joe, that's, that's a little too pointed. That can never happen. Those disciples in John's church, people that he taught, people that John taught, people that he knew, they were good people but they had settled for something less. And he's saying here that they had become antichrist. He's giving us a warning. We have a choice. We can live in the light or we can live in the world. Matthew Henry puts it this way, and I thought this was a great quote. It's a little 18th century for us, but I think it's really good. There's a great danger lest those that are not anointed should be so far from being true to Christ that they should, on the contrary, turn antichrists and prove adversaries to Christ's person and kingdom and glory. I don't ever want to be in that bucket. Amen? Amen. I don't ever, ever want to be in that bucket. So we've got this heavy warning coming from John who enthusiastically wants us to know Christ. But he doesn't leave us hanging there. His, the final point I think he makes in this passage is don't be distracted Stay focused on the living Christ. As we read verses 20 through 25 here, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? 
It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I pulled two things from that passage that I just want to focus on in the closing moments here. First of all, you have an anointing from the Holy One. God does not leave us out there hanging on our own to try to do all this all by ourselves under our own power. He's not playing a game with you. You're not a chess piece on a board that he's just screwing around with. God is on our side. He equips us to go out and to wage this battle in this world. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. You have an anointing from the Holy One. We have access to the Holy Spirit. You got all excited about Ohio State. We have access to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen? I don't think we live in that reality enough. I don't think we live in that reality enough. I don't think we're enthusiastic about that. It makes me wonder why we don't get enthusiastic because the Holy Spirit is just this incredible gift that God has given us. And as I was doing some research, I go back to the upper room and John's gospel. And if you read, if you want to do some good reading this week, just go read John 14 through John 17 and you'll get just waterboarded with truth. <laughs> it's, it's just so rich and meaningful. But I go back to that upper room conversation that he had. John 16, 12, we know, we find out that this Holy Spirit isn't a, it's just not this ghost that's traveling around and scaring people, Jevin. Boom! Scared. That's not the Holy Ghost does. It's not his job. The Holy Ghost's job is to teach us. You know, in, in, in John 16, verse 12, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, the counselor will guide you in all truth. He's going to guide you in all truth. He's going to teach you things that I haven't had time to teach you yet. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. We have access to the Holy Spirit who's teaching us and guiding us every day, who tailor makes a learning program for you in your walk with Christ. He tailor makes a learning program just for you in your walk with Christ. We, we have the Holy Spirit who's a teacher. We also have the Holy Spirit who in John 15, 26, Christ said, he will remind you of everything I've said. The Holy Spirit reminds us. So we're walking through your day. You need to be, who needs reminders? Yeah, me too. You know, I love this. It's an apple, by the way. But I love it because I can kind of, pop this on and say, hey, remind me to end this sermon and wrap it up in about five minutes. This is Papa Sands, hey. That's what I'm it not says. I'm sure I understand. <laughs> for, for all you Android people out here, let's rewind the tape. Edit that. I love these things. I use it all the time to remind myself of stuff. You know, if I need to, you know, do something that's out of routine, give me a reminder. And we need reminded of stuff because we're busy maintaining all this stuff and we're busy doing our jobs and living our lives and we need, we need reminders in our spiritual lives. We need reminded. The Holy Spirit is a reminder for us. The Holy Spirit prompts us and reminds us that God is with us because I need reminded. We come to church every seven days to be reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ. Amen? We need reminded. The Holy Spirit helps us discern right from wrong 
truth from lie. In John 16, 8, he says, the spirit will convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness. The Holy Spirit speaks to our conscience and helps us make moral decisions as we live life. The Holy Spirit uh, is our direct connection to the throne. This is what blows my mind. The Holy Spirit is our direct connection to the throne of God. Jesus in uh, chapter 16, verse 12 of John, he says, the counselor, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. We have direct access to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit every day, right now, if you're in a right relationship. You don't need to come to this church to pray. You don't need to go through some special ceremony We have direct access, and Hebrews chapter 4 says that we can come to the throne in our time of need because we have a high priest who is able to understand what we go through because he has been tempted in every way yet was without sin. We have the access to God through the Holy Spirit, and yet we sit here and we go, hmm, that's interesting. We We need to ask God to pour the Holy Spirit out on our souls so that we get excited about this again. We need to be reminded as a people, of what we have access to. And finally, are we taking advantage of the Holy Spirit so that we can remain? That's the other phrase. He says, remain in him. And again, this word remain, it pops up all all over the scriptures. Uh, The Greek word is meno. Pop that up there, Mary. The Greek word is meno. Remain, abide. And as I looked up the the meaning of this word this week, it means to live with something or someone over a long period of time. And kind of the best word picture that I can come up with to help you understand what it means to remain in Christ and to remain in the truth is the love boat. (laughs) Spiritual truth. Every week on the love boat, Saturday night, 9 o'clock, ABC television, you'd, you would get really geeked about who's going to be this week's special guest star, right? You had your regulars. You had Isaac and the captain and Julie and, you could, and the doctor, and they could all be on there every week. But, you know, God wants us to realize that Jesus isn't just supposed to be a special guest star in our lives. He's supposed to be a regular. When, when Christ is a regular, it impacts our actions, When Christ is a regular, we're acting in obedience, we're living in the spirit, we're agents of righteousness and justice in our worlds. We're ambassadors for the kingdom. When when Christ is a regular, it impacts our interaction with his word. When Christ is a regular, we find ourselves hungering to get deeper in the word. Do you find yourself getting deeper in the word these days? Do you find yourself hungry to get more in the word? What I find is that I just need to kind of take that step and start studying, and as soon as I start digging into the Word, I want more. What I get scared about is that we've got people walking around that don't know what they believe or why they believe in it, and, you know, bellyaching about all sorts of stuff that's going on. We need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to the Bible. We need to understand what it says. And we need, to, we need to not only learn it for information's sake, but when we are allowing Christ to be a regular in our life, the Bible is not just information. It is transformation in our lives. Is the word transforming you right now? Is the, has the word been transforming you lately? When, when, we, when Christ is a regular, we are connected to the vine. When Christ is a regular, we're bearing fruit, spiritual fruit. When Christ is a regular, we're tapping into this anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have a choice. We have a choice 
to embrace this alternate reality of what God is calling us into or to settle for something much less. I was telling you about my stuff broken down in my house. I'm going to wrap it up here real quick. But, you know, the AC breaks down. The garage door opener breaks. Two years ago when we bought our house, I purchased a home warranty. I purchased a home warranty. I thought, yeah, that's a great thing. You should do that. Spent 500 bucks for it as part of the close, so I didn't really miss the money. But uh, my garage door broke last fall, and I called the warranty company, and it took four days for somebody to come out and check my garage door. And when I came out, the guy said, you know, I can't do anything. We're going to have to, we're going to have to, can't touch this. It's out of code, blah, 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 blah. You know, I've, I'm not allowed to work on it. Gave me all sorts of runaround. I said, go away. I called Bob Van Hoos over here on 6th Street. If you ever have a garage door problem, Bob Van Hoos. He'll do a great job for you. His boys came down 25 minutes later and fixed it for like 100 bucks. I could have called him five days earlier and it would have been fixed. My home warranty failed me. I put false hope in an earthly thing that didn't pay off. You know, sometimes I, I get concerned that we're putting, we're investing our time and our energy and our resources and our faith in things that are going to fail us. Jesus will never fail you if we invest in him, if we invest in him. I've got a flower garden in my backyard. I'm a novice, green thumb person. You can come to my house, you can tell. But I got this flower garden in the backyard. Vicki had planted some flowers. And I water the flowers. And they grow. But a couple weeks I went out there and my flower garden kind of looked like a weed garden. Yeah. <laughs> it had been looking like that. And you know what? I needed to water it a little bit more and take some time to pull those weeds out. And I mulched it and got it all prepared. And it's much more looking like a flower garden these days. But sometimes we need that in our lives. Sometimes we need to stop and we need to evaluate, am I settling for a weed garden when God wants to give me a flower garden? Are we putting our hope in things that are going to fail us, in temporary things, or are we putting our hope and investing in the kingdom? We choose, we get to choose whether or not to live in a better reality in Christ. And I've just got these questions just to kind of wrap things up this morning. We're going to pray here in a second. How's our track record? Are we on course or have we strayed? Are we choosing to invest in this alternate reality or in something lesser? Is Jesus a regular in my life or is Jesus a special guest star just showing up every week, every once in a while? Is my life settling for less than God's best? Am I enthusiastic? about Jesus, and if I'm not, if I'm not as enthusiastic about Jesus as I am the Ohio State Buckeyes or the Cleveland Indians, there is something wrong in our lives. There's something short-circuited. There is something disconnected. And so I would just want you to stand this morning as we, we finish up. You're going to stand with me. Typically, we do an altar call on something like this, but I want you to leave with that question lingering in your minds. Am I settling for something less than God's best in my life? And if we are, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Are we going to keep on this course and possibly become antichrist to somebody else? Do you want to risk that?
Or do we want to live in, do we want to choose obedience and have that rocket fuel that deepens our relationship with God and with every step of obedience, every time I make that step, it's drawing me closer to him, drawing me into a deeper relationship, a deeper communion with him. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, Lord, as we close this service, I pray, Lord, that you uh, would allow your Holy Spirit to stick to us like honey as we walk out of here. I pray, Father, that this question of whether we are settling for something less than your best would go with us this week. I pray, Lord, as we walk through the holiday tomorrow, that your spirit would prompt us and remind us of this question. Am I settling for less than God's best in my life? Lord, as we walk this week, as we go back to work, get back into our routine, I pray that you challenge us with the reality. Are we choosing to settle or are we choosing to walk in a deeper relationship with you? The word makes it very clear. Lord, we want your blessing in our lives. All of us do. Lord, I just pray that you would, you would rip the scales away from our eyes, Lord. The blindness that's been created by the affluence and the culture that says, hey, you got to keep up with the Joneses. Give us the courage to truly evaluate the state of our relationship with you. Lord, we want to be so enthusiastic and in love with you that we want to tell everybody about it and not be ashamed of it in this culture. Lord, there have been too many people who've settled for less and have allowed the, the culture around us to be filled with weeds. And Lord, I pray that this week you'd allow us to recalibrate our lives to you so that we can begin being an influence for your kingdom in more powerful ways as we step out there in faith to serve you in obedience. Father, we pray that you go with us now. Remind us of this question this week. I pray that you bless every household that's represented here, that you go with us, that you'd, you'd protect us, and that you would help us to enjoy your presence in our lives in the coming days. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming this morning.